Welcome to the 344th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Paz Ellis, author of the book Plantains and the Seven Plagues, a memoir, half Dominican, half Cuban, and full life. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Paz Ellis, author of the memoir, Plantains and the Seven Plagues, a memoir, half Dominican, half Cuban, and full life. Paz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your memoir yet, how would you describe the book? Um, well, the book is a, a memoir in the sense that it's uh, a chunk of my life. It starts from when I'm young. Uh, actually, it starts with the story of my parents, how they met in New York, and uh, my mother being from Dominican Republic, my dad being from Cuba. And it goes up until my mother passed away. And that is when I was inspired, I guess you would say, to write to write the, the book. Um, once my mother passed away, I felt that I needed something. And then this was it. This book was it. It's kind of like a little history story and also honors my parents and our cultures and um, just everything about how I grew up and right. what, what they gave up for us. Mm-hmm. And so how did your parents meet? Well, um, it sounds kind of strange, but my mother was very depressed. She was suicidal. Her younger sister had just passed away, and she was taken away from Dominican Republic by her foster family because they wanted her to go to college, and they wanted to get her out of the funk of depression. She had been through a lot and lost um, two siblings, and losing her sister just kind of put her over. And so her foster sisters dragged her to a, a club. It um it was the Roseland um ballroom in New York, and it, she didn't want to go up the stairs. And my they were like or the entrance, and they were dragging her, pulling her. And at the same time, my father was stepping outside with his cousin that he was there with, and they met at the steps. But she was just mad and didn't pay attention. And so that's how they met. She was angry, sitting there watching them his her sisters dance and watch men would come up to her and ask her to dance. And she was really rude. And she was like, no, thank you. No, no. And she really didn't know any English except for her. No. <laughs> so it was, everything was a no. And then my father asked her to dance. And for some reason she just looked up ready to say no. And she changed her mind and she said, yes. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your father was Cuban and um, yes. you've said that he longed for his birth country and his family that he yeah. was separated from due to communism. How was it growing up with your father? Oh, wow. Um, my dad, he, he left Cuba before Castro. He had actually come to the U S earlier because he came to buy some farming implements they had a lot of sections of um, where they grew tobacco. They had tobacco fields. And then he liked he liked the States. And he went back. And what he started to see and started to notice, he didn't like. So he moved to New York 
And I would say it was by 57, he was already, already in New York. Um, he told his family over and over, I don't, I don't like what's going on. You know, it looks like it's this is socialism and it's headed for communism. And there was just a lot of things that he had noticed and they were like, Oh no, we're fine. Cause we're in the country, you know? So, um, all of a sudden he couldn't see them anymore. Uh, he, it was 23 years before my father saw his family again. He saw his parents. He got them to come and visit, um, you know, that whole process of getting a special visa from a country that has been closed off to the world um, was not easy. Um, and so he suffered a lot in the sense that he was angry with Castro. And, um, and that's where part of the title of my book comes in, Plagues, because he was always very creative and coming up with different ways that God could strike down um, Castro, although my father was an atheist, which was really interesting, um, all the, the seven plagues or anything he could think of, he was just um, obsessed with being able to return or have his family come live here. And um, that was my dad's story. He, was, he wasn't depressed like my mom was, um, but he was, he carried that pain and that anger with him uh, pretty much pretty close up until the day he died. Um, yeah. I mean, that pretty much tells my dad's story. Mm -hmm. And so your, your uh, mother, as you just referred to battled depression, can yeah. you talk about your mother and her role in your life as you were growing up? Oh, absolutely. Um, my mom, there's a, she was, um, there was two sides of her. She had this amazing laugh. And she was funny and she could tell jokes and she was just the life of the party. Everyone loved her. Um, she was kind and giving, but there was this darkness in her, this, I, you know, my sisters and I, and I talk about that in my book and, and with friends always talked about that. It was like, there was this cloud over my head, over our heads at home. And now even when I was a teenager, I had it, like I felt it. There was this, she was either she wasn't sick because something came up or because she was so stressed out, she was massively depressed. And at one point um, we did have to um, send her like to like a group home for a month so that she could get um, therapy because she was so, um, so depressed. And so depression did play a huge part in my life. I had to learn to separate myself a little bit from that. And that wasn't easy. Um, as I got older, in my early 20s, mid, no, I was closer, I was almost 28, so I was <laughs> past my mid-20s, I developed multiple sclerosis, or, or I was diagnosed with it anyway. And so depression is natural to someone who has autoimmune diseases, you know, it wreaks havoc on your brain. So whether or not you're depressed, you will be, because that's what your nervous system does, it just kind of goes into chaos. So for the first time in my life, I really understood what my mother was fighting it was something she could not, she could not stop. It was something in her brain it was a chemical imbalance or a, it's mental, mental illness really. But hers, I think came from experience too, because she had a really difficult childhood. Sure. So, so, so where did you grow up physically? Did you grow up in New York city? I know I grew up in West New York, New Jersey. It's just across, um, sure, I, I know across the river. Right. Yeah. As, um, a little town at the time it was full of Cubans and um, 
there were some Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, there was a lot of German and Irish and Italian. So, but when I was little that I started the school system, which is back in uh, like 71, there wasn't very much, there weren't very many Hispanics really. So I was one of the first, um, it, like in my class, the, the school that I went to, I was one of the, probably the first one there. So that was a little interesting because I'm from a mixed relationship. My father's a white Cuban and my mother is dark skinned Dominican, not as dark as in, in Dominican Republic. There's, well, you know how India is, but it goes by skin tone and by where you live and things like that. And that's how they cast themselves. The Dominican Republic is very similar. The lighter you are, the more opportunities you'll get. And um, my mom was dark enough to be considered um, dark here or black or mulata or whatever. But in Dominican Republic, she was fair. She was pretty fair compared to a lot of her her relatives. You know, so it was I grew up in that and it was hard at first because not everyone back in the 60s, early 70s um, was accepting of a biracial, bicultural relationship. So that was interesting as a little kid because I had no idea that I was different. I didn't know. I, I really thought that everybody was like me, talked like me, went to you know, had parents that spoke Spanish and were strict. Um, I spoke both languages by the time I went to school because I have an older sister, but it it was different and I wasn't prepared for that. And, and what was that, what was that experience like for you? Um, I, I guess, you know, that cultural um, experience of both biracial and bicultural um, in the seventies. Um, well, since I was a kid, it was, it was kind of a shock to me because I didn't understand. I had one teacher in particular that she did not like me and she literally told me why she didn't like me besides the fact that I was left-handed. Um, she forced me to write my right hand. Um, she would make remarks about, you know, being a stupid, you know, thick or things of that nature. And I was like, oh, what? I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand it. Um, and in our own family, in the beginning, my parents had to deal with things because on his side of the family, they were like, oh, you know, Rolando, what are you doing? Um, you know, why don't you marry a Cuban girl or, you know, whatever, and someone more like you? And he's like, because I, I fell in love and I don't care what you know, what color she is or what color she isn't. I mean, he loved her. He had been married before. That's where I got my older sister. He had married a Cuban woman and he brought her, helped her get out of Cuba, but it didn't work out. And I'm glad that they have my sister um, because that's, she was an, uh, an integral part of my childhood, especially my teenage years when depression did hit me. Um, because, well, when you're a teenager, your brain just kind of loses it. And my older sister was uh, kind of like my lifesaver in a way. But um, in the, we had a little town and it was nice. And as I started getting a little older, you know, there was a difference of cultures. And we had New York City right there. So our parents, uh, we would go to the city a lot. And my dad, very intelligent man, and he 
was an inventor and he liked to dabble in different things and the sciences. So we got to go to the museums a lot and we went fishing a lot. And um, if there was anything that we could do that was an educational opportunity, something where somewhere where we could go, we did that. So we took a full advantage of um, things in the city, except for the touristy attractions. Like I had never, I never went to the Empire State Building in my whole life <laughs> until until I got married and had you know met my husband and we went there. Um, so yeah, I mean, my parents and had trouble embracing the culture, but my dad was really into learning and in particular, the American Museum of Natural History. We went there twice a year at least. And I just, I grew up, I grew up with a household that read a lot. Everybody read a lot in my house. My dad was a complete book nerd. I mean, huge. So was my mom. And, um, and he wrote, um, it's they were called decimas. It's like Cuban folk music. He would write. He would write the lyrics. He would also play the guitar. He self taught himself pretty much to play anything. He found an accordion on the street that was the bellows were broken. He went to Chinatown. He got whatever bellows are, and he put them in, and he fixed it, and he played the accordion. He could just do these things, and um, and I think that's where I picked up that that love of literature and writing. It was from a really young age. I don't remember when it started. I suppose it started when I was started writing. Right. You know, so. so so you mentioned your your uh father's family was in Cuba. What about your mom's family? Did you have extended family in the New York greater New York area? At the time no, her only family was in Dominican Republic and while I was young, um really young, maybe 4 or 5 years old, her, one of her brothers died, another brother, and um, he died of meningitis. And so she, by then, had already lost three siblings. She has one alive. Well, he's my only surviving uncle on my mother's side. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we had no Dominican family here. So I grew up feeling, really relating a lot to the Cuban side of me because in West New York, when the factories and like a lot of people were Cuban and we we lived a Cuban, we spoke Cuban, we ate Cuban <laughs> Um, I just, I really um, affiliated myself more as like as a Cuban um, because of that. And but when my uncle would visit, I would quickly um, become very proud Dominican because <laughs> <laughs> he was too. So um, and to this day, I I think I still do. But one thing my parents always said was they didn't want us to lose our culture. They wanted us to only speak Spanish at home, which we did, except for when we threw in some Spanglish that my father hated. But my parents, they, oh my gosh, he hated it. They At first, my dad refused to learn English. They eventually did. But my parents wanted us to embrace who we were, um, not just the Cuban side and not just educate ourselves with history and what happens in the situation like when socialism and communism come into a country and what it does to the economy, what it does to the people, um, but also to know what it is like to appreciate being an American. My parents eventually became citizens and they were so proud of being Americans. My uncle would kid with my mom and say, hey, you know, you're Dominican too, because she would like, talk about like after she got her citizenship she was like running around holding this this certificate saying i'm an american i'm an american and she was so happy and my uncle was trying to remind her you're a dominican and she was like no sir i am an american and she did love her country but she finally um really embraced the fact that she was an american too and that anything they wanted to do they could do here they eventually bought a house and, you know, we went to college, although they didn't want us to go away because that wasn't in our culture. In our culture, you you get married and you stay home until you get married. And that was the opposite of what I did. Yeah. Um, you know, I went as far away as I could. I went all the way to California the minute <laughs> that I wow. could apply to school. <laughs> and, you know, so... Yeah, so I mean, my parents really taught us to love all facets of who we were. But as a kid, I was really confused a lot of times because I wanted to be like my friends. I wanted to be, well, I thought they were my friends, but I wanted to be called Jennifer and I wanted to be, you know, blonde and um, not speak Spanish. I wanted to just not be noticed. I didn't want to stand out, but I did. And I still do. And that's okay. I mean, I like it now. Right. <laughs> but when so you- what, what prompted you to write your memoir? My mother's passing. 
um, I wrote, I, I, this is my second edition. I wrote the first one um, pretty much about six, seven months after my mom died. Um, it was, I had sat down and written her a very angry letter because I was so lost and not dealing with her death. My father's death, we expected. He was sick for 13 years. But my mother's death was very sudden. And she had been sick a little for a few years, but it wasn't, she wasn't supposed to die. They said she had at least 10 more years, you know, that she was, she was doing good. And all of a sudden, here you want mom is, mom is going to hospice and I'm, you know, flying to Jersey. And two weeks later, my mom is gone. And so I was in shock. I was angry and I wasn't handling it well to the point that my sons asked my husband, when is mom going to stop crying? When is mom going to stop being mad? And after I wrote her that letter, I kind of felt a little better. And then I started the next day, I picked up my laptop and I started writing the book. And, and that just, it was very raw. It, I, I did, I had a friend, editor friend edit it. So, you know, it wasn't really edited. Um, this time around it was, and I had to get it out. I had, I knew I had a story to tell. I wanted to immortalize my parents, but more so I wanted my kids to have a history, to have like this little history book. And that, that horrible, painful experience is what springboarded my, 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 my authorhood (laughs) because I had always written, but I never Mm -hmm. published a book before. Uh, I, st- I still have books I wrote when I was in my 20s that are just sitting there. Um, what were you I, writing in your 20s? What was I writing? Um, mm-hmm. mo- mostly fiction. Um, I like I like history. I, I was a history major. Um, I like a lot of historical fiction, contemporary fiction. I love the classics. Of course, I can't write like a classic author. Um, but those are the things that I wrote about mostly. Now I'm writing, it seems I'm writing things that I'm inspired by, who I love, what I love, my fiction books. Um, the ones that I'm re-launching uh, right now is called Just Finn. And that was inspired by my brother because um, it's about a young man that has Asperger's syndrome. And my brother's in the spectrum. He just found out a few years ago. And so I was, once I found out, I just started writing that book because there were so many things with my brother that I thought, oh, you know what, this would make a really fun story. And it would help a lot of people realize that just because you have Asperger's doesn't mean you can't be successful. Um, and so I just, you know, someone told me the other day, you know, you should get into fantasy or romance novels because those are genres really make a lot of money and they're really popular. And I was like, no, I have to write something. It has to come from within me. It has to be something that I love and that I could really, really relate to because I want my reader to feel what I feel. I don't want them to just go, oh, okay, this was interesting, but I don't, I don't feel anything. I want them to feel something. And that's, you know, that's why I wrote that memoir besides, you know, the reason I started and and actually, right now, I'm really excited, and I guess I'll tell you, is that within a couple of weeks, I'll be launching it in Spanish. Um, so it's with an editor right now, and he just texted me this morning that he was done. 
So I'm really excited about that. And then I have Finn coming out again, the first one. And then the, the series, the, it's a, I couldn't do it in one book. So the second part of it, it'll be out in the fall. And I'm excited about that as well because, um, it's, I've already had people say, oh, you know, my son has autism. He has Asperger. I can't wait to read the second part because I can't believe how much your character grew. And my son, you know, and, and people just like really relate to it. And so that's what I'm talking about. I love that I t- can touch someone that right. way. You know, I'm, uh, that's so, what I'm so, so what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels or even memoirs? Um, you have, to, I believe, I mean, this is my opinion. Um, I believe you have to be invested emotionally and it, it has to come from the heart that those are, those are the things that I read. Um, and there's certain ways that people write. Um, someone asked me the other day about, they were, they're writing a memoir and it's taken them like 15 or almost, almost 15 years. And they go through, like they wrote an outline. They have like all these, all this homework that they did. And I do that. I did some research. I my only source on my mom's side was my uncle. So I interviewed him and got a lot of names and information and little details that I didn't know from my mother because she never talked about certain things because of, you know, her depression, I assume, or because she was embarrassed. And, um, and so I, you have to prepare yourself. You have to have your facts if you're writing a memoir because you're going to have people's names in there. And if you have some people that are not going to be comfortable with their names out in the real world, then you have to change them. And I did change some, a couple of names in my book. Even my older sister, she didn't want her name out. I don't know why, because she's never done anything to be ashamed of. <laughs> but that's, she's very private. And, um, and so am I. But um, now everybody knows everything about me. Like I, read, I wrote this book and it's like everybody knows. And it's, it's strange. But when you're writing a memoir, you, have to, you do have to do your research. And your, your characters, I think you do need to plot them out in the sense of you have to let people know who this person is and how they're growing in your memoir. Um, mine was a little different because I was kind of, it was a picture, a snapshot of my childhood, but it was about my parents mostly, which is difficult because they're gone. So then it's like a memoir slash biography. Um, they, they told us a lot of stories and I had a lot of memories and thank God I was able to remember a lot of it. So, um, but writing a memoir is definitely something that you need to look back and, do research and have photographs. And if you have letters, even better um, to bring to life these people. I even um, got in touch with that man, my father's friend that he was at that, at that um, ballroom with when he met my mother, Um, because I wanted to know what my father's expressions were. I wanted to know what he remembered, things like that. So you need to do your homework. You can't just like, completely just sit there and, you know, just make things up because then it won't be real. So, but that, I mean, that was my experience with the memoir. So are there memoirs that you've read that you really enjoyed and that you would recommend? 
Oh my goodness. Yes. I love memoirs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think probably one of my favorite memoirs um, is by Frank McCourt. He wrote um, Angela's Ashes and Tis. Um, he's a, he was a school teacher in New York City, and he wrote about what they went through um, in, during the famine in Ireland and then moving to New York and living in, in like a ghetto. And it was just wonderful. I absolutely love him. I love any memoir that has been written about um, the Holocaust or um, I wrote one, read one recently about this woman in South America and her life in Argentina as a, because she would go for tango. And I was surprised that I would even like her. She had asked me for a review and I was like, oh, I don't think I want to read this, but I loved it because I love to read about history and about people. And so, you know, that was really good. Um, but I think Frank McCourt is probably my absolute favorite because he puts you there and you feel like you were with them. I, when his brothers were sick or when they were hungry, like I cried. I just, it's a book that no matter how many times I pick it up and read it, I feel, I always feel the same way. And, um, and there's so much history in it. Um, it's not just like contemporary story. It's, it's historical and I love historical fiction and I love historical memoirs. So, um, I would have to say that Franklin Court is definitely my favorite memoirist. Absolutely. That's great. Well, yeah. where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your memoir and your novels? Um, everywhere. No, um, I have a website. It's um, pauseellis.com, P-A-Z-E-L-L-I-S.com. And I'm, I'm on Amazon. I'm on Goodreads, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm forgetting something. But pretty much all of them. Um, all of the social media. I'm trying to work on Pinterest. I just haven't really figured that one out yet. I don't have time for it. It's very, um, <laughs> I don't know. We just have to pin a lot of stuff. And yeah, I don't, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah, it's not, not my thing, but I'm going to try. Um, okay. Yeah. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Paz Ellis, author of the memoir Plantains and the Seven Plagues, a memoir, half Dominican, half Cuban, and full life. Her memoir is available now, so go buy a copy. And pause. Thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really enjoyed our time. Great. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.